This is War Room Moments, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and most relevant people on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. War Room Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board. Here's your host, Jason Miller. All right. Welcome to the War Room. Uh, today, we have another great guest today on the War Room. Uh, it is great to have you here on the show today with us. And as I do with every guest, because I introduce people poorly um, and I don't ever catch the real true essence of who they are. Um, I know that is a fault of mine, so I just don't do it. Um, so if you could just give us 30 seconds about who you are, introduce yourself and what your superpowers is. So everybody knows right off the bat. Great. So thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. My name is Jorge Tittinger. I am now living in Nashville for four years now after 39 years in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually born and raised in Peru and moved to the U.S. to go to college with the full intention of heading back as soon as I was done studying. So I must not be done learning, uh, which <laughs> actually I love. Um, I Today, I basically work mostly with boards of both public and private companies. And I spend a lot of my time helping entrepreneurs, both in the US and in, in Latin America, uh, with their, their startups and, you know, and trying to help them be successful and grow. And my real focus is on how do you make the human capital aspect of the business a true competitive advantage. So mm -hmm. I work with people on making sure they set up the right culture from the beginning rather than try to change it once the company is up and going. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, we'll dig a little bit more into that because I, mm -hmm. I feel there's probably some good, uh, good little gold nuggets we can talk about there for sure. But, but mm -hmm. uh, to, to kind of understand more about you, I mean, did you grow up yourself in a family of entrepreneurs? Because obviously you're on the entrepreneurial business journey. Did yeah. you grow up in that? Uh, half and half. <laughs> you know, the, okay. it's interesting. My, my mother uh, was a medical doctor, mm. which for the time she was born in Latin America, it was not a normal thing. You know, women mm. were supposed to get married. Uh, but she had a passion for being a doctor and put herself through medical school and, um, uh, you know, was a very successful doctor. My father was a businessman. Um, uh, I will call him an entrepreneur. Uh, he tried his hand at many different businesses, some successful, others very educational. I'm not going to call him not <laughs> successful because uh, there's great lessons to learn from things that don't exactly go the way you want it. But the interesting thing is in, you know, in Latin America, in Peru specifically, which is where I know more, uh, the bulk of the economy is made up of small business owners and entrepreneurs. So I, I, my answer is yes, but I also, I also had the the influence of one of the, professional discourses like medicine in, in my family. Mm -hmm. um, 
both my brother and my sister are, are doctors. I'm the black sheep of the family, you know, I'm just a business guy. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's a, uh, you know, if you go back to, and, and I would say it's probably, it's probably half and half, right. Of mm-hmm. um, I've interviewed geez, three, 400 people over the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's about half and half of, you know, they either grew up in with parents that were entrepreneurs or they were in sports or the military or something high functional. Right. Yeah. Um, so the dynamics interesting there and, you know, the shaping of, you know, cause my folks were very entrepreneurial too. Mm-hmm. And that, that shaped me and it shaped kind of where I wanted to go with things. And now I own a bunch yeah. of companies and do a bunch of different things and so on and so forth. But, but it really shaped my path. Did you see that for you that that shaped yeah. your path of where you were going to go? Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, to some extent, even though I said, you know, my mother was a doctor, not an entrepreneur, it was truly trailblazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for her time in, in, in the culture of Latin America. But you mentioned sports. You know, sports had been a super huge part of my life. And, you know, I played soccer, you know, in Peru, in college here, professionally here, and for the indoor U.S. national team for mm. five years. And there are so many lessons that I took from sports into the business world that I found to be very valuable and I continue to teach them when I work with companies. Uh, you know, today I'm an investor uh, in startups and I try to help them. Uh, you know, it's a, I call that selfish altruism, you know, <laughs> my benefit if they do really well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I do bring a lot of the lessons from, from sports and from, you know, having the courage to do something trailblazing, whether that be a startup, an entrepreneur effort, or in the case of my mother, you know, kind of, you know, open a path for women to be medical doctors. Yeah, 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 for sure. So take me on that journey from, Mm -hmm. let's go back to when you were a kid and take me on that journey and that path that you went through to get where you are today because the lessons from that are they're priceless really um, to bring, you know, your story to light and all the lessons that, that you learned that are just, you know, I don't like the word failure. I like the word lessons, right? Yeah. So yeah, because, because we, we can all learn lessons. They don't have to be failures. So I, I'm curious, you know, so take us back and, and start us. Yeah. you know, uh, through that influence of business ownership. Sure. So, um, like I said, my, my dad had many different businesses for mm-hmm. periods of time. He was the head of large corporations in Peru, like Volkswagen, right? And, uh, mm. but, you know, the, the political situation in Latin America is not as stable as here. Um, right. Right. So, you know, we went through periods of, you know, when the government basically confiscated all the companies and, you know, kicked out 
foreign companies, other country, etc. So he tried his hand at many different startups. Uh, again, like I said, some were successful, some were great lessons. And that influenced me. Um, when I finished, I was in my last year of high school in Peru. And remember, this is a long time ago, right? This mm -hmm. is, there were no cell phones. <laughs> the internet was kind of starting. So the this ability to be anywhere at any time uh, wasn't really there, right? Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to go representing Peru to a phenomenal school that happened to be in Canada, where there were, it was only for two years. You basically did the last year of high school and the equivalent of your first year of college, um, 100 students per year, so only 200 students uh, from 75 countries, right? And I, got, I had, you know, I had to take tests and stuff to, to get selected to go do that. And, uh, you know, they gave me 48 hours to decide whether I wanted to go because I was the one selected. And um, uh, I said, yes. Well, it happened that my parents weren't home, right? So when they came back and I told them I'm going to Canada, uh, my dad's response was, I didn't know they played soccer in Canada because at the time I was playing soccer for the junior national team in Peru. They go, no, 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 I'm not going to play soccer. I'm going for two years, which caused a whole... A set of conversations there but I think had I not seen the example of them being willing to take risks I probably would have opted to not go right and that experience was incredible uh, from the perspective of understanding people from different cultures as you can imagine at you know 17 18 years old to be exposed to 75 uh, countries was a pretty unique experience yeah, um, uh, you know the grade in the school. From there, I went to to college. Um, I had the great uh, opportunity to go to a to a terrific university. Uh, I went to Stanford for my undergraduate and graduate school. Hmm. And uh, at Stanford, I had a full right for soccer which again, opened great opportunities. So I was able to not, not have to work, not have to do anything other than focus on my studies. Um, and had a kind of strange combination of interests. Um, you know, I studied electrical engineering, which was perfect for the fact that I was in Silicon Valley, uh, but also studied philosophy as an undergraduate. And um, I remember not putting that in my resume early on because I thought it was too strange <laughs> that people would think <laughs> um, I, I, I appreciate the fact that I did that so much because it truly gave me a balanced look of the world. Sure. Um, again, there I played, I played soccer. Um, when I graduated, I was recruited to play in the North America Soccer League. And I got, you know, I played for a year and then the whole league went bankrupt. Mm. So, you know, the U.S. didn't have a pro league since from 1985 to 96. Um, so then, you know, the easy decision was for me to go take a job, right? Uh, you know, uh, electrical engineering Stanford grad was highly coveted in Silicon Valley at that time. But I, I decided I wanted to really further my, my studies. Um, so I went back to school instead of uh, going to work right away. Hmm. 
um, got a master's in computer science, then started working. Again, had the the luck to work for a fantastic company. I worked for Hewlett Packard. That was my first uh, real job. I, I don't call my stint as a professional soccer player uh, a real job, <laughs> uh, although it was it was awesome. Um, sure. And then then I got recruited to play on the indoor national team, and HP was incredibly gracious with it's athletes, right? So people who are either an Olympians or whatnot, they gave us the time to actually go practice and go to the tournaments, et cetera, and made it easy for us to both work and, and do that. Um, and then, you know, I was, you know, in the heart of Silicon Valley at the time when technology was really driving change. So I was exposed to this great startup companies that were, really shaking the ground and, and challenging very successful already established companies. Um, so I left HP to join one of those startups. And so I guess I, um, uh, not just because I wanted to leave, but they wanted to move us from Silicon Valley to, you know, I was in my mid twenties. Uh, they wanted to move us to a town that was much more a political environment than technology environment. So I, that drove my change. But it, it started my, my curiosity about, you know, the entrepreneur world and the startups. I was lucky later in my career to work for companies that were quite acquisitive and they'd like to invest mm -hmm. in companies that potentially could help our technology roadmaps, et cetera. So, you know, I'd been in the, in the, both as a, as an entrepreneur myself, but also helping uh, startup companies achieve their objectives from yeah. early in my career. Yeah. Um, well, cu curious before you go on though, um, why choose, why choose to, um, to work with startups? Because I mean, I, I tell you, I, I can tell you, I did that too, uh, yeah. years and years and years ago. And, I found it so frustrating trying to work with startups that, you know, I don't work with startups anymore. Yeah. Um, what, what took, why, why that path? Why did you continue yeah. that path without going crazy? <laughs> we, you know, it's, it's, it's true. Right. And the statistics support what you say, right. Mm -hmm. One out of 10 make it, you know, right. What the statistics don't say is that the other nine don't just fail. Yeah, right, that's true. Maybe one out of ten fails out, outright. The others go through a struggle. Uh, in many cases, they go through a significant transformation, and they could make it as a very different instantiation of what they initially were thought to be. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you think about this, the super successful companies that we have today, they all started as a startup, right? Right. Yep. And, um, you know, working at HP and, you know, as you probably know, both Hewlett and Packard were Stanford grads mm -hmm. um, and they were still alive when I, you know, was studying and started my career there. Um, you know, the famous story of them starting in a garage and having 19 rejections before anybody decided to give them a buck to to continue with their their dream um, is such a compelling story that if you can help one company 
go through something not even as grand as HP, but sure. but a huge success. Um, you know, I, I think that is a tremendously gratifying opportunity, right? And uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so it's kind of addicting, you know. You <laughs> see, you see companies that go from really a piece of paper with a business plan that most of the time is not about business and maybe not even a plan, and then turn it into a story of success. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that there's many other legal ways to get that kind of satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> legal ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's true though. It yeah. is. Well, you know, I can say that, you know, I liked working with startups. I mean, I, myself, I love starting companies, right? Mm -hmm. I love the, you know, the, uh, the, the energy dopamine dumps as you're going through the whole first two years. Mm -hmm. That's the fun part, right? I mean, yeah. so you get through that first couple phases of things. And then what's amazing is everything changes, right? And then most of the time, what at least what I found, and even what I know about myself, is the wrong person stays in charge for too long, right? Very true. And if most founders could just at some point in the first two years go, okay, I'm just going to be the founder now. Yeah. Right. And get out of the daily operation altogether. Cause most of the time, what I found working with, I didn't work with a lot, maybe 30 or 40 startups was they just weren't willing to get out of their own way. Yeah. And, and that prompted me at that point to not work with startups anymore. Um, but, yeah. but and it's not like that problem doesn't exist elsewhere either, by the way, but Correct. it's really prevalent in startups. Though. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot more involvement, if you will, from venture firms that are mm -hmm. funding a lot of these startups and I, I think so to, so to some sense, there's a lot more guidance, right? Um, right. You're absolutely right. The, there's di different types of leadership needed at different stages of companies' growth, mm -hmm. right? And even if you're going through very high growth, not as a startup anymore, and you start to plateau, that, you know, that type of CEO that runs a company for sustainability and value is a different type of CEO than the one that runs it as a growth company. And right. to the extent that companies or people realize that and take action, you get great successes. Um, mm -hmm. But also the fact that the venture companies are more sophisticated, they're now a big, have a big say, right? It's like, okay, Mr. Founder, you've achieved what you set out to do, which is maybe get your product or your service out in the market and now your role is probably much better as a CTO mm. or the board or something like that. Right. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, that, like I said earlier, the numbers are telling, right? One out of 10 startups succeed. Partly of why some of the others don't is maybe people are staying in there for too long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, I would say out of the company, the companies of that, I used to work when I used to work with startups, 
you know, that was absolutely the case most yeah. of the time. Way too married to their ideas or processes or, yeah. or and, you know, it's like you don't have to be married to ideas and processes because mm -hmm. there's been a couple other people that have done this already. <laughs> right? yes. 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 You don't have to reinvent those wheels. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think one of the things that, that you'll see more and more and more is because the rate of change in the world is accelerating mm -hmm. and that what will be essential for companies to be successful is their ability to adapt, yeah. right? And adapting means across anything in the company, whether mm -hmm. it's processes, product ideas, leadership, you name it. Um, those that can anticipate change and, and adapt to that change are the ones that are going to do really well in the future. Yeah. Um, the reality is, you know, 30 years ago, the rate of change for then was faster than any other time in the past. Right. right. But it, it keeps getting faster and faster. And, you know, there's more ambiguity, more uncertainty, more volatility in the world than there ever has been. And so truly those visionaries that can see change coming and take action will yeah. be really Right, right, right. Seeing the power of change, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, and sometimes for, for some people that's hard, it's hard to see that, right? Yeah. And, um, and that's why a lot of solopreneurs never become true business owners. Yeah. Because they're just trying to do it all themselves. And they have nobody around them to, you know, do the proverbial hammer over the head, right? Yeah. To, to, yeah. to see the light of there's more than just your little box here, right? So, right. but yeah. In interesting that you bring that up because one of the other things that I do is I, I run a mastermind peer to peer CEO group mm -hmm. where we have in my group at least twelve CEOs whose sole purpose is to get help from each other and help each other. Sure. And, um, it, you know, it's pretty funny. The, you know, I've been running it in, in Nashville for about a year and a half. Um, every single one reported that last year was their best year so far. Uh, of course, I claim I took credit for a bunch of their success. <laughs> I actually <laughs> gave it to, to the group. But it's true. You know, it's... Uh, you know, it's very difficult for leaders of companies to think with people who don't have some kind of hidden agenda for them. Yeah, and, sure. and in these groups, they don't, right? It's really all about, look, I'm going to tell you my experience and my insights. And the only thing I expect is when it's my turn to receive feedback that you do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. But um, you're right. Many minds um, give you different perspectives, different viewpoints um, sometimes they've already stepped in the potholes you're about to step in mm -hmm. and they can warn you uh, and that's tremendously valuable uh, in the in the business world today yeah for sure mm -hmm. well I, I will tell you there was 
already a ton of lessons that we just went over. And if you didn't catch those, you just weren't paying attention. Um, but there was lots of lessons that we just covered for sure. And, but just for our hard heads in the audience, um, if you had a couple of just go-to things, right. That you mm -hmm. would say, look, here's a couple things that I would recommend that you do to avoid some arrows in the back in your business life cycle. Great question. Um, yeah. I think, you know, when, again, when I work with, with companies, I, I emphasize what are the sources of power that mm. they can avail themselves of, right? And of course, their knowledge, their experience, et cetera, kind of goes without saying, right? That's why they're in the position that they're in. Mm -hmm. But I really try to hammer into them that the power of networks is unbelievable, right? So mm -hmm. work on developing your networks of help. Uh, and that is, you know, networks of support that are tactical, networks of support that are strategic, uh, discursive support, right? So if you're not a really competent finance person, know somebody who really is, <laughs> right? If you're not really competent in sales, know somebody who really is, have them in your network. They don't need to work for you, but they need to be able to, uh, for you to have conversations and bounce ideas mm. and, and pretty, you know, understand what it means to be on a network, right? It has to be reciprocal. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll kick you out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So, work on your networks. Be you know, to the extent possible. Be a try to become more and more aware of your blind spots. Yeah. Um, and your your networks can point those out to you. Um, we all have them. You know, uh, there's a reason why they're called blind spots. We don't know that we have them. <laughs> Otherwise, we would do something about it. Um, so, I think it helps people in so many ways to really. Uh, from early on in your business, develop your networks, grow them, take care of them, uh, and they'll be significant contributors to your success. Yeah, man, that's great advice for sure. And I often hear people say, and you didn't say it, I'm glad you didn't say it, your network is your net worth, but it's really the right network that yes. becomes your net worth. Exactly. It's not about having... It's not quantity not about having 2 million followers on Twitter yeah. that don't care about you. Right. It's that's yeah. not what matters. I found building a tight group, right. Uh, of people is way more powerful yeah. than worrying about the big, huge numbers and algorithms and yeah. who cares. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's about quality, not quantity. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, hey, awesome. Um, how how do you how do you want people to reach out to you from the show that have questions yeah. or? Um, so, probably the two easiest ways is through my LinkedIn. Okay, you know, Jorge Tittinger is my. You look for my name, and I, I think there's only one of me <laughs> on LinkedIn, uh, or through my website. My website is TittingerConsulting.com. Um, those two ways would be probably the, the easiest ways to reach out to me. Um, and I welcome people reaching out, you know, for advice, for opportunities. It'd be great. Yeah. As I always say, give value for as long as it takes, right? Exactly. <laughs> for exactly. sure. Well, awesome. Well, Hey, great conversation. And 
I really love to wind the show down with the, we call it the million dollar question. And that is, uh, you know, if you could have invited anybody here today to be with us, dead or alive, any point of time, doesn't matter. Who would have you loved to either have here with us to listen or participate and why them? Yeah, this hopefully is not too polarizing an answer, but um, I would have loved to speak with Ronald Reagan. Mm, you know, yeah. I think in, in the times that we're facing, uh, they're tough, right? We have all kinds of uncertainty geopolitically, domestically, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, I think he was somebody who was able to reach across party lines, created yeah. a lot of wealth for people. Um and you know made some tough decisions on many aspects i'd love to have him give us advice of what should we do or what could we do mm -hmm. as a country to kind of get better yeah yeah great choice by the way <laughs> for sure i don't sit on either party line but but i will tell you he he was he was somebody that my dad often talks about mm -hmm. um, as a great president. And, you know, he did a lot of great things too, for sure. Yeah. So um, I think that's a great choice. And, uh, you know, thanks for sharing that for sure. And also thanks for coming on the show. Um, I always yeah, say, too. you know, we all got the same 168 every week. And thanks for stopping by and spending you know, 33 minutes here with me um, and, and dropping some great bombs on the, on the audience. It's uh, truly my honor, not the other way around. Oh, it's th thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully people got some value out of it and I look forward to connecting with folks. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Well, cheers, my friend. Take care. Thanks for listening to War Room Moments with your host, Jason Miller. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.